The Rink Rat Report podcast is brought to you by BetStamp, the ultimate sports betting companion app. Track, follow, and analyze your bets across multiple sportsbooks. And while you're there, check out the world's first verified buy and sell marketplace for sports betting picks. Download the app today. The Rink Rat Report podcast is also brought to you by Season 2 of The Lock Garage. Host Marco Shara, a Toronto criminal defense lawyer, interviews various criminal lawyers about the practice of criminal defense, gets them to share their war stories, and helpful tips for up-and-coming lawyers interested in the area of law. Out now on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Step into the garage, listen to the experts, and get a tune-up. Okay, we're recording? Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to the Rink Rat Report podcast. Today will be Wednesday, November 10th, when you're listening to it. Most likely, it's Tuesday, November 9th right now for us. As always, joined by Josh and Jason. What up, what up? How's it going? Another good week. Yeah, Strong. few Leafs games to, to talk about. Unfortunately, ending on a loss there. But interesting episode coming up today. We did an interview with a mental performance coach, Jackson Sloan White. I hope I got that last name somewhat correct at least. We're going to be playing this at the end of the episode here. He was giving us some pointers on essentially what does a mental performance coach do, How it re- and we were relating a lot of it to the Leafs and like, you know, the situation that they're in and how the performance coach could help them. As I think some people would know, the Leafs just got a mental performance coach this year. Um, obviously, over the the off season and even the beginning of this season, you know, mental performance has been a big topic with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I think you're you're really going to want to give that episode, that portion a listen. I think it was a very interesting interview. I learned a lot. Uh even when he was talking, I was right taking down notes. But um, please excuse the first. I listened back to the interview. Please excuse the first like thirty seconds. I was atrocious <laughs> in introducing him. <laughs> it's a little bit painful, but just, maybe just skip the first thirty. No, seconds. No, listen. Listen to the first. No, the 30 first thirty seconds. seconds. No, listen to the first thirty seconds. Okay. Listen. All right. <laughs> Got to do me like and that. And then you can you can write in the rink rat DMs like give Joey a report card like he, this was like a C minus. He Joey the vanilla <laughs> podcaster of the week. <laughs> oh god. No, I don't think anything. There's a couple players on the Leafs. I don't know how I would beat them, but Yeah. Let's uh let's get into it. We got so, oh, we got some topics to talk about. The insiders were discussing the Maple Leafs on their podcast this week. We'll we'll get into that a little bit. Um but, yeah, thoughts on this week in general. Guys, let's kick it off. Well, we, we wanted four points, and we got it. But I don't think any of us expected that to both those wins to come from Boston and Tampa and then to lose to L.A. Not saying that we played poorly against L.A. or played, played, I thought we played as a whole. I thought we played pretty well this week. It was a positive week for the team, and it was great to pick up four points. Um, the L.A. game was... We'll, we'll we'll get into that in a, a bit. But with Joey, what did you no, think? No, let's about, get into it now. You, you want to get into it LA now. game now? The LA game, it's fresh in everyone's head. Okay. I'm seeing a lot of like, we suck again. We're awful. Just got to remind people, you're going to lose games. Yeah. This is not like the Olympic tournament. It's not like, oh, we, we're lose. We're screwed. We're, we're done. Like, they're going to lose about what 20 games how many games is, like does the president's trophy winner lose about each year i don't i don't well they're gonna lose 30 if you count overtime losses too at least like yeah yeah a 50 well, win season is like a remarkable nhl season what was it 60 wins for tampa that one year and it was uh, i don't did they win 60 games i know that that's, which means they would have lost 22 exactly. that's, that's and that's a that's an amazing <laughs> year like 
I hate to remind you, but they're going to lose games. And that's Relax. Okay. Yeah, it's Some okay. of them are not going to be good. Mm-hmm. You're going to think, wow, they played bad. It's going to happen. I, I don't understand this mental. I saw some people absolutely losing their minds, but we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about what happened in this game. So where do, where do you guys want to start with? What, what portion of the team do you want to start Let's with? Let's start with the start of the game because that was like a first six-game start. Like that was a, just a flat yeah. start mm-hmm. by the whole team, Spe- specifically the D. I thought we were talking a little before. The entire left side had just a terrible game. Oh, and yeah. Sheldon Keefe actually mentioned it. He's, it. It's honestly something a fan would say. He said, I don't see our players getting neutral zone rushes like that where they can just take the puck through the neutral zone all the way to the net without even being bothered. Like I don't, He's saying, I don't yeah. see Matthews or LA Nylander. has a few players where it's just like they're, they're really fast, but there's not much else to their game. Yeah. And it's like, okay, wouldn't you game plan? Like, Athanasiu, that's like the number one thing with him. Yeah. He's a fast player. And he completely worked Morgan Riley all night. And then even his goal, I think his goal was off the rush as well where he, yeah. he beat Jake Muzzin. Yeah. And he cut in with that. Honestly, that is a great move where yeah. you're on your... You're back off end. wing and you go yeah. backhand quick move and like a, it really opens up the goalie because you change the like the angle so quickly, right? Uh, if you get it, uh, yeah, yeah. If you come in on, yeah, it's on so your off wing, right? Like if you're he's a, a left-handed player, yeah, right you come side. in on your backhand there. You put it through the defenseman's stick. You yeah. get it over theirs, and then you're able to get the shot off. You're able, you're getting a decently clean shot off. You got some speed on it as well, and it works on those bigger guys because the big advantage that. Big defenseman like Jake Muzzin. Um, we saw Austin Matthews pull this move on Mort Sider, who's about six foot four. Like big defensemen have the reach advantage on you. If you're mm-hmm. able to put it through that triangle gap on them, I mean, why not? And it seems like some of these players are, are figuring it out there. So that's a skill guy move. It, a, it is. It was a great move. Well, essentially, it was a nice move. It was a bad play by our defense. Yeah, but allowed that, it to happen. Yeah, it was a great play. But the point that Keith was trying to make is like. I don't see our guys off the start of the game getting free neutral zone rushes, yep. and it's true. Like, really, if you're, st- they shouldn't should never be that bad to start a game. Like, that's a, such no, a sleepy was, start, yeah. and not that you could see it coming. But when you win five in a row, and it's like this is, oh, we got over the like the hump. We crawled all the way back from the depths of the start of the regular season. You're playing L.A., who has Drew Doughty and mm-hmm. Sean Walker injured, two of their better defensemen. It's a Monday. It's cheap tickets night. Cheap well, tickets relatively night. cheap no, tickets. No, for the Leafs, it was cheap tickets night. Ask Chap. Yeah. Shout out Chap. <laughs> no, it was. And like they were asleep at the wheel, honestly. And for me, when you are that bad to start, it's hard to dig yourself out of the two nothing hole, even against oh, any yeah. team. Especially when you start that slow. Like they were they were really started slow from the whole team. And it was a little disappointing. And the penalty the discipline didn't help them no, either. It didn't. They finished the first period 12-6 to six in shots in favor of L.A. At 5-on-5, five five, I thought that, like, I didn't think some of our bigger players played that poorly. The issue is they weren't on the ice. They weren't on the ice because we were killing penalties the entire period, and our defenses were fumble-farting at the back there. It was really weird because it was, like, seemingly basic plays that L.A. scored off of, but our defense's positioning was so bad on these plays that it allowed it to turn into like essentially a breakaway. And I mean, when you look at both of the plays, how come are both of our D are playing on one side of the ice on them? Like I, I, it was something so basic where it's like, okay, you're a left defenseman. You're a right defenseman kind of stay ish to that side. They weren't. 
which was really confusing watching that back a couple times. I had to watch it a few times. I'm like, wait, like, why is Sandine on the right side there? You know? And yeah. it led to the goals. Like, a little sloppy, stupid. like things things you want to clean up, right? But yeah. like, everyone will always relate it back to this in the playoffs. Like, you can't. It's true, though. Like, those are sloppy tendencies where yeah. maybe in the regular season on a sleepy Monday, like, we're, we can excuse it. In my opinion, like, it's not great, but it was a sleepy Monday game. It, it was a prototypical, like, trap game. They talked about it on the radio, too, and it's a, that's a very narrative and hyperbole-based thing to say, but that's what happened. Like, L.A. came in. They really started hot. Leafs started slow, and they lost. Like, it wasn't that complicated of a game, and the funny part is, like, second and third period, the Leafs really started pushing, but mm -hmm. it becomes a thing a little bit of too little too late. I mean... And it was kind of funny because, like, you expect with L.A., okay, Dustin Brown's playing pretty well. Anze Kopitar is having this renaissance season. Like, watch out for those guys. Arthur Kaliev's got a really good shot. Like, watch. I think he was on a two-game goal streak. Who did they get goals? Athanasiu, who's only playing his second game of the year. He's not the... He's a depth player. Trevor Moore. Goal and assist from Athanasiu. Trevor Moore gets his first point of the year there. And then Philip Deneau, like the, the, the Leafs killer, the defensive center... Gets a couple goals on you and an assist. He had a really yeah. good game, actually. He had a yeah, great he, game. He I think he had like six them. shots or something. Seven shots, like the he he had seven shots at five on five and three points. Mm -hmm. It's a good game. Eighteen Corsi four nine against. Yep. Playing expected goals one point one seven point one eight expected yeah, he had goals a sick against. Game. He was he was nasty. Yeah, he's the damn. And he's he scored Leafs killer. <laughs> yeah, seriously, he scored five goals last year. He scored two two on us this year in one game. Yep. Crazy, like. And knocked us out of the playoffs last year. Yeah, and also like it's yep. the classic Leafs player comes back yeah. and scores. I'm Trevor Moore didn't have a point. He didn't all have a year. single point. I was like, I literally texted my friends before the game. I'm like, guys, yeah. if Trevor Moore is gonna score tonight, and he, lo and behold, first a minute scores. I mean, even it, when you look at it against Tampa, uh, Pat Maroon and Corey Perry, we criticized how they didn't have a great start. They had zero points combined coming into that game. They they were Tampa's only goal. Yeah, it was funny. There's an awful play on by several players. On it was like one, the slowest two on one ever, and they still scored. It was crazy. Oh yeah, Jake Muzzin just TJ Brody on that. Play, sorry to jump around here, but mm -hmm. Brody on that play, fantastic fake slap shot gets everyone to bite, sends it over to Muzzin who's got a good angle, and then like just Muzzin shot gets blocked, puck goes the other way, and then he just makes an ass of himself running into the crossbar there. Like, yeah, that was rough. That was a horrible sequence for Jake Muzzin. But and then, you know, even kind of like the precipice of how his season has been this year. Exactly. And jumping back to the Kings game, like it was like one of those games, even like Jack Campbell wasn't his fault they lost, but it was like one of his less sharp performances, I would say. Yeah. A couple of those goals like through the arm, like not that they were bad goals because there were so many they gave up so many Off rush, the rush chances. decent chances, but, but it's, it's like, like you mm -hmm. saw him saving those in other games. You can't expect them to yeah. save it every game, but that's an example of how like Things just all went bad at the start. That's what I saw. But yeah, I didn't I, have the greatest I game. I agree. I, I want to talk about the other two games as well. Yeah, no, but like, let's we, we went over the negatives. How do we feel about like all the D play though? Do we, like do we feel good about the pairings? What are we feeling about? I know we went over the left side didn't do so hot, but no, I mean, as, as I think we said last week, like Timothy Lilligren can't come out of the lineup, but yeah. I think Sheldon Keefe agrees. I think yep. he's still we, playing very well. I noticed in that LA game, like against Boston, I mean. It was a tougher time, but it was pretty good because they were playing against some good competition. It was like, wow, like they're still moving the puck decently up there. You saw the Rasmus Sandin, though, like made that mistake um, on the four on 
the four man rush. And then he kind of lost. He lost Pasternak on the yeah. way back. That was unfortunate, but you're going to expect that with a young offensive defenseman like that. Timothy Lilgren, though, was, I thought was awesome in both games. Didn't move oh, yeah. the puck quite as well against LA. It was a little bit more of a tough time there. Boston, but he did. Still wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was a good week for him oh, and yeah. Sandine, I would say, overall. Patrick Sandine, his dad, got to see some fantastic hockey from, from those two there, I must say. But, yeah, I mean, like, I think they played solid. Uh, the D, for me, it was like, it was kind of up and down. I thought Travis Dermott has been slowly getting better in the top four role. I didn't think he was that bad against LA. I thought his line mates just made some questionable decisions when he was out there. Maybe, I don't know if it's in part to his positioning. I don't think so, though. I mean, how is he How, how is he at fault when Athanasiu just completely works Morgan Riley over and over and over again? Or when Morgan Riley just makes continually dumb plays? Seven and a half mil over eight years. Are you ready, guys? Are you ready? <laughs> Damn, that was horrible. No, the problem is, like, in a scenario like this, where okay, like let's put Muzzin and Brody together. Granted, Muzzin hasn't had a great year, but it's look at <laughs> look at Tampa and Boston though against those guys. Those guys, other than the two on one against Tampa, they had pretty good games against those two, in my opinion. Jake Muzzin yeah. against Boston was really good, in my opinion. He yeah. stifled a lot of zone entries. I have that game tracked. He was really really good, but the problem is like when those guys like against some of the other games they're going poorly and then okay let's rely on morgan riley and travis Dermott. i get Dermott may not be a top 4d but if you give a guy seven and a half million i I think that pairing has been pretty poor overall in my opinion i don't think that's an experiment that worked the way they wanted it was a small sample size has it been since our last episode total it's been three so three i thought against boston they did pretty well Mm mm-hmm they, um, they won the expected goals battle there by about like one to. I thought they were okay. Five. They were not bad. Tampa, mm-hmm. it was not great, and then LA, it was not great as them yeah. as a whole. Yeah, yeah, but even the previous but, two games before that, yeah. right? That Hall originally yeah, came out it of the was lineup. it was not great. So, well, clearly they think it wasn't great because I, in my opinion, they were waiting for a loss to put Hall back in. Clearly, because they lost one game and he's back in. It seems for Dermot against Philly, right? Is it for Dermot? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dermot, it's going to be for oh. Dermot. So I saw I saw rumblings of it. That's why I included it in the notes there. But like, I didn't know who he was coming in for. And yeah, what was going on? It, there. it looks like it's going to be for Travis Dermott. So again, it makes sense though because he's they're not trading Sandin or Lilligren, and we're jumping topics here. But it seems like one of those guys is going to get traded. So, and that's that's not just coming from us speculation. No. There's rumblings out there that the Leafs are looking to move one of them. And when you think about it, it kind of makes sense if you have a one and a half or two million dollar seventh d-man that's just sitting in the press box that cap space can be allocated better, better. elsewhere and i think some teams see some value for sure in one of those two i, I don't i don't 100%. think it'll be a giveaway i think for one of those players you'll no. get either an early day two pick maybe i don't want to say a second for sure but a, like you could probably get two thirds maybe a second for one of those guys i don't think that's out of line they're really? they're younger guys cost control right shot do you have nhl experience well hole's not yeah Okay, but what did, is what, what did we see given for some of these D at the deadline who are just PK specialists? Like, yeah. you get second-round picks thrown around yeah. like candy, right? I'd almost wait until the, the deadline and then move on. No, but, but then, then you, you can you, say... There's a possibility right. you've cratered their value. Or you could mm-hmm. say you get them the whole year. Like, That's maybe true, you have yeah. to give a little more. A little yeah. more, yeah. yeah. Sorry, we jumped topics here, but one thing I wanted to get back on track here. Like, okay, LA game was bad. I thought Boston and Tampa were really, really good games from the Leafs. I thought they demonstrated, you know... Chips are down for your top 
top six guys there. Like those are tough matchups. And they scored they've scored they fourteen very, goals very well. in a row now. The big four players have scored fourteen goals in a row for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So. Power play, we saw them start mm-hmm. something from behind the net. The power play How last three games, you? I think, has looked really good in my opinion. Yeah. I think they've moved the puck more. It doesn't like I still don't think they're moving enough, but the puck is at least moving more. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is making a big difference. And we're and we're starting to see people or uh, players in different places now. Yeah. They're not just all right. You're the half wall. You're the bumper. You're at the po-. like everyone's moving around. Right. Yeah. And that's what I, I think that's what we wanted to see from the start. So these are all good signs and we're producing. So that's one time options getting used a mm-hmm. little well, bit. Yeah. I also like to see Tavares. You know, he's a great net front presence. We saw he scored a goal against Boston, the fourth goal where he's just dummying Mike Riley in front of that. Honestly, oh, yeah. Nylander mm-hmm. gets a shot after a penalty kill. You get the Nylander Tavares Matthews line, which I love doing that after the penalty kill. And Nylander gets a strong shot on net. Tavares, great screen, throws Mike Riley on the floor and puts the puck in the net. But an example of him knowing how, like his spatial awareness, if you go back and look at the one goal scored against L.A., Mitch Marner gets the puck below the red line. It's a very slight move. Tavares just literally takes one stride yeah. to the left, opens himself up, one timer in the back of the net. That's what goal scorers do. He is exactly. David Pasternak does that a lot. You'll absolutely. see him like um, he'll be standing up and it'll be a shuffle. It'll literally just be like a, a shuffle, like a goalie would do. He'll shuffle to one spot over and then just pow in it's, the back of it's, the net. Like pow, that's how you sustain high level play as your legs go, right? Like I, I compare it to when I watch. This is jumping around again, but when we watch Simmons and Richie play with Spezza, right? Those guys get a bit of PP time as well. Like, I've seen Simmons. He hasn't scored that many goals, but he does a good job of knowing how to get open in front of the net yeah. or at the side of the net. Compare that to Nick Ritchie. He has no idea how to do it. Well, he had, he has, it looks like he has no idea where he is. But that's a great example all. of, like, you can put 6'3", 220 on the board every night, but on the ice, does it translate to anything? I don't know. I think it was Tevi Mendel sent us a DM saying that um, what does Nick Ritchie do other than be 6'3", 240? So far, nothing. And play and play like he's 185. Yeah, so far, nothing. But I did think he played – I think I thought him and Kasha were like really fired up to play against Boston. Again, yeah. It seemed like, yeah. in my opinion. Kasha yeah. was flying around the ice. He had five carry-ins alone for himself. I think he had the most on the team against Boston, actually. Yeah, and, like and he – and that line wasn't playing well either. Like no. Comp and Engvall almost no. hung him out to dry. Yes. Like he he Kompf was and really Engvall were horrible. That yeah. Game. So and he he really took a step. And same with like, like Richie. That was by far his best game. But like again, he didn't even do anything. Like he no. Went, I thought Tampa was his best. He got some good chances against Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. But Boston, he, it was he seemed more engaged in, against Boston. I yeah. guess. But he still again still wasn't just wasn't doing anything. So we want to see more from yeah, him essentially. Well, I think it's, it's frustrating because honestly, like. He has the tools. Simmons right? and Spezza. I, I don't. I don't watch every team in the league, so I can't compare to every fourth line. But like that seems like one of the better fourth line duos. winger center duos in the league. Like yeah. they've been producing a lot of chances, and they've scored. I think they have five goals between them. Like that's not a crazy amount. A lot came in the beginning there. They've been a little bit dry yeah. lately, but the chances are still Simmons there. against Tampa should have scored two goals at least. Oh yeah, I think he led the team breakaway in, in chances. two on one like. Yeah, you said his four. his individual expected goals like one and a half or something or one point one five. It game. was it was it was the Over highest on one. the team. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's something I want to talk. Like I think that's been a really good combo for us so far. Yeah, I've and, seen people criticize the depth and they go into oh the top line has scored fourteen in a row, but it's like okay the fourth line is still generating chances. Yeah. They play eight minutes a game. You can't mm-hmm. expect them to put up right. crazy numbers. And then jumping off that, Jason, sorry, I, I want to give your point like hear your point on this like. 
The problem with having the strict shutdown line with Comf at center is like you almost can't play those guys when you're down. No, but you you can't. Like, yeah, I I don't think their goal is to have a strict shutdown line. Like they're they're talking. What about, the hell is David Camp? They, I, that guy is a negative offensively. They Keith mentioned today that the, the Leafs are specifically working with Camp. They didn't. He didn't mention this in particular. He just meant uh, he was asked about depth scoring, and he said Camp in particular is working on his finishing towards the net. So I think they expect that line to eventually score. Okay, I'm working on stopping the puck. I'm not playing in the <laughs> NHL next week. But David, Jason, Ka- I know I, he I, had I, one I'm goal just, last year. He had one goal last year. I I'm just reading the tea leaves yeah. as to what Sheldon Keith tells the media. That's All what right. I and, and and to me, I don't think they're what they believe they have in their third line is a pure shutdown line. I think they still expect them it, to go out and get. It goals. seems like it though. Like Pierre Engvall, I, I've I've really praised the fact that how, the way that him and Andre Kasha are able to skate the puck up the ice, get it from point A in the defensive zone to point B in the offensive zone. However, Pierre Engvall is getting into one of his grooves. We've seen this so many times now, where he plays really well. And then he tails off. He has gotten so bad that he's started passing to nobody. He has made a habit of passing the puck to absolutely, to ghosts. Call him Sam Darnold for crying out loud. He's passing it to ghosts. He just has a torn fib. Like you just, he just announced today, Sam Darnold. I know, I I saw it. I don't care. Come on. He still saw ghosts against the Patriots. Again. But (laughs) But, anywho, like it's gotten to the point where Pierre Engvall is almost like, I don't know. He, he was he was okay last game, was he? I don't, like, it seems like he'll probably be the odd man out. Like Richie should be the yeah. odd man out if Mikheyev comes back. And I think, but it's crazy because at the beginning of the year we were like, oh, he's playing too well to be taken out. But it's yeah. like he plays himself out of he mm-hmm. plays himself in the line into the lineup and then out of the lineup. It's a very frustrating play. The frustrating thing for him is like it reminds me of like when you when you see a uh, an athlete who has all these physical tools but like just refuses like a running back who's big that won't lower their pads like that's angle he's like so big but he plays like he's so small it's it's so frustrating yeah like, no body contact he, nothing like, like he plays too literally too high on his skates like he's never <laughs> low in the corners he's never like grinding it away and like okay you want to criticize some like a Mitch Marner for doing that great but like he scores goals like Engvall if you're going to do that in the bottom 6 you got to either produce offense or be like a pure shutdown center. And he's neither of those. So where does he fit? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I think scratch him right now. Like, scratch him right at this instant and then put him back in in a couple games. Because guess what? Based on history, he's going to be awesome when yeah. we put him back in. But, like, you have to scratch him first, which is really, really weird. Like, that he, it's been two years now of the same sort of stuff. And you have to get into these, okay, Pierre, take a seat. And then then he gets fired up, and then he starts to actually do something out there, right? And it goes back to, like, we're trying to analyze these games. Tampa-Boston, like, thank God the big guys were running because those lines mm-hmm. were doing nothing. Like, that mm-hmm. third line was producing absolutely nothing in those games. He, and Engvall, I think he played his season. Yeah, he played 649 at even strength, Engvall, against Boston. Like he essentially didn't play. He didn't the, play. He didn't. He played one, one minute, minute in the third period. Yeah, and you know it's bad when they're literally putting Richie instead out instead of you, and like <laughs> Richie didn't have much going either. But no, Richie has been absolutely dog water so far this year, in my opinion, especially for a guy two years, two and a half. Um, that that yeah. also that also kind of makes me think just of a uh, like you mentioned of just scratching Engvall for the night. Now that Mrazek's hurt, we can't, we do have the ability to call guys up. Who's the next left wing on this depth chart? Because 
like it says Joey Anderson doesn't play left wing. Kirill Semyonov, who's done great so far in the AHL, plays center. Who's who's the 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 next left wing coming up for us if we do go about something like that? It's gonna be. I can't remember. Is Hosang just? I think right he's wing? a right wing. But honestly, like if you want to look at a guy on the Marlies that may get called up, it would be him. He's got six goals in eight games. Yeah. I'm, I was so excited for the Marlies this year, and then I looked at their most recent roster, and I was like, oh, my. because Robertson's injured, and there's one other injury, and it was just like, oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> it, it looks like an. It looks like one of those like old guy AHL rosters. Yeah, kind like, of. There's yeah, like, like 25, 27. Curtis Gabriel's on the third line. Oh. Hopefully I, we can get Mikhail back soon then. But like it's Ilya like I will say Ilya though McKay, the one yeah, thing about Ilya Mikhail, he's he's a little better. He's not great at it, but in terms of puck retrieval than Pierre yeah. Engvall, oh, yeah. he's not the most physical guy, but he has shown an, a good ability to win pucks. To break up plays. Exactly. He's very good at breaking up passes in the offense. And I zone. think I really think he'll fit well on that line. I think me and Jason had a debate about that before the season. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have Engvall or Mikhail? I th- I would prefer Mikhail. And I think he's going to get a look on that line. Do you think they'll switch? They'll put Mikheyev in for where Kerfoot is and move move Kerfoot down? Wow, that's a great question. Actually, I I, I, I wouldn't because Kerfoot's playing some of his best hockey as a Leaf mm-hmm. with those two guys. Solid, so just simple play. Simple. Even like that's again against LA, there. the problem is he can't shoot the puck. Like let's be yeah. honest, Kerfoot's problem is he has one of the least threatening shots on the team. He had like three or four shots last night. None of them were threatening though. No. But again, we saw that one line, game against the the Jets where I I put up a highlight of it last year where it was three grade A chances that he just either soared over the net or put straight into the goalie's chest. Yeah, and then like once every fifty shots or whatever, he'll just like rip it off a one timer top shelf, and you'll be like, oh. And and maybe this is a oh. weird way to think about Kerfoot, but like you're making his three and a half million go to use when you play him on that line. Yeah, when exactly. you see him more in the bottom six, like. We saw him at point to the Easily end of last year, lost. centering the fourth line. It's like, geez, that's a really rough allocation of your money there. But I know he's not the most ideal top six forward, or maybe he's not even a top six forward on every team in the league. I get that, but no, like, he's not. Yeah. I think he's fitting perfectly well on that line. The one it's working, just yeah, let it ride, kind of thing. So right? any any other comments on that Boston Tampa? Jack Campbell played really well in both those games. I think against mm-hmm. Tampa, he was the reason that they they were able to yeah, win. That, that was that a game. great goalie matchup. My God. Jason oh, yeah. thinks Vasilevsky's yeah. equipment to leave. He has to be cheating because no. I okay I I his, his okay his equipment, his shoulder pads are so big compared to Jack Campbell. As silly as it sounds, like I understand he's a bigger person, but it's just like it literally that makes like, a huge difference. I, yeah, but it, that, really. it, it literally looks like he's he has like an extra seven inches of like Jack shoulder. Campbell's like six one. Vasilevsky's six four and weighs a lot more than him. I I, I know, but it's I, also maybe, preference. It, yeah, that as well. Right? But it's just crazy that when the fact that. Uh, he can just go into butterfly and still be literally covering the entire net because he's a freak. Absurd, but he's anyways. a freak of nature. I, I brought it up last year in the playoffs. Like he's literally the best goalie of this generation. He's gonna yeah. go down as one of the best of yeah, all time. He is I the think. most talent, yeah. out of anyone like it, ever. This is like a he's not as good as McDavid is as a player, but in terms of like physical skill and talent, it's harder to see with a goalie. But like, watch how easy he just gets across the ice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. get that some of it is he's some got of big it legs. like is so good that he makes it look so easy. Yeah. Like just his his movements are flawless. Like he's very very fast. He's very very bendy, and he's also very very big. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's like it's just you've molded the perfect goal. And the only way we got pucks by him was Victor Hedman sent an absolute pizza up the middle. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe tired legs didn't get all on the clearing attempt. And again, Tavares knows where to be. 
A little space. Marner Dang. finds him, scores, and then Nylander scored a freaking rocket in overtime. Where is this goals? So there was the, the Chicago one on the backhand that yeah. was like in the middle. It was the furthest one away. There was the Tampa Bay one-timer. Then the L.A. game, that was like pretty much just the opposite side yeah, one-timer. Yeah. And, and then the two just grinder goals against Boston the there in front of the net. And to anyone that thinks that that first goal in the Leafs shouldn't have been a goal, 2009, Leafs versus Tampa Bay, Phil Kessel's first game, the Leafs lost on Ryan Malone's overtime goal on the same rule. Yeah, you won't get that analysis on uh, any other podcast. Anywhere else. (laughs) That's the only, I don't remember much. But but you remember that. I remember that. Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone. Phil Kessel's first game where he got rocked by Matthias Olin. I don't, I didn't remember that part. I had to look that part up, but But, uh, any other, like I think pros, the power play look good. Big dogs are running hot cons. I think you mentioned some of the defensive work has been a sloppy. I think that's pretty fair to say. I do think Jake Muzzin looked better. I think last night he looked bad, but I thought Boston and Tampa, he looked better. Um, He looked better with Brody than with Justin Hall. I really think I really want them to stick with that pairing. Bro. I want to see it through. Yeah. I think Brody's um, been solid. Jason, any other like I one thing you, to watch, like just a small, small thing. Brody's footwork on defense is it's fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to anyone, like when you watch a player come in, they stop up. Just Brody's ability to stay square with them, it's incredible. He's almost like an NBA defender, but yeah. a defender, NBA defender's not on ice. <laughs> That's you. why he's been able to sustain his career so well, though, because he's not the biggest the guy. He's not the strongest guy. He's not got the best hand. Like he's just a really sound, like, fundamental he's not even skater. The fastest, no. but like just like the quick little yeah. footwork. It's like, damn. And he had a couple very very good passes against Tampa Bay. Yeah. Like unfortunately, one ended up in the back of the net somehow. But the pass to Jake Muzzin, yeah. he had a good breakout pass to Andre Kasha, and then there was one other breakout pass that I'm drawing a blank on for whatever reason, but just all led to great scoring chances. Thought he had a solid game. For some reason, he sat for like a five-minute period against them. I don't know if they were trying to like push out Sandine, Morgan Riley more, but I thought that was kind of odd. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, yeah, any other thoughts you got going on? No, I, I, I think we I think we hit the the nail on the head. Their power play looks good. We're we looked good at, even though we lost one. We we in the loss we still looked strong. We still looked good. We just gotta again fix the same issues. It was just starting strong and being consistent. Good, good, good. So it's it's a it was a positive week for the Leafs. Uh, I, I think it's only week four, but it feels yeah, like yeah. it's been way longer with all the negativity surrounding things. Yeah, so I agree. I think Austin Matthews this week looked a lot more like himself. Mm-hmm. Like a lot, just very noticeable almost every single shift. Mm-hmm. Yep, he looks really good. Uh, no complaints there for me. Yeah, not at all. Um, the one thing, the penalty kill, um, I think it's been solid. It's been interesting to watch how it works. And here's my one thing. I'm, I think M- Mitch Marner should be getting less penalty kill time. And not because, oh, like rest him, whatever. I don't think he's reading the penalty kill system as well as it should be played. The Leafs penalty kill goes as such right now. Before, it was the box. The classic, one guy gets one point, one forward gets one point, the other forward gets the other point. And then the D, you you stay in that box-like figure, right? You guys all remember that from playing hockey. Mm -hmm. Pretty basic stuff. Right now, what they do is one forward stays in the center, like pretty much the middle, in between the two circles, and one forward chases the points. 
So you'll notice that the forwards aren't challenging the points as fast because they need to read where the other forward is and then react and go out. What this allows, it prevents cross-ice passes, so there's less movement of the puck through the middle, which prevents better scoring chances, right? Mm -hmm. Still with me here? Mm -hmm. So you're going to see them give up a lot more point shots, but... As long as Jack Campbell's handling that rebound and the D are where they should be, it's not very threatening stuff. And so far, it's kind of worked on the power play this year for the Leafs, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I have, I've noticed Mitch Marner, like, he struggled against Boston to pick up the guy in the middle there and get that read off quickly and, like, quickly react to where he's supposed to be. And you'll notice it on Boston's first goal. Although the first goal was because of the tip. The if, if there wasn't a tip, it wouldn't have gone in. But I felt like the other forward chased the point, and Mitch Marner didn't react quick enough to get to the center and prevent that middle shot coming off, the one-timer from the middle coming off. And I noticed he, he got beat on another one like that as well that didn't re result into anything. But I feel like he's got to do a better job of picking up that read he did a much better. He was much more successful in the previous PK system because it was a lot. It didn't require as much thinking. Right now, you're seeing guys like Andre Kasha is playing the PK very well. Um, David Camp is also playing it very, very well because they're reading each other very well. I feel like Mitch Marner needs to do a better job of reading the PK system a little bit better, and then, but like also, it's not like a goal scores penalty kill system. Like you're not going to be picking off that D-man because you're getting there a lot later. So it's like, if you don't, like, if the if the offensive opportunity isn't, threat isn't quite there, and it's a lot more blocking shots, why is Mitch Marner on the PK? I know that was a very long-winded yeah. answer, but I hope that makes I, sense. No, I, I I understand that, and I'll have to keep an eye out for that, because I haven't, I haven't, like, particularly noticed that the forwards more on the, the penalty kill, but one thing I have noticed is that I feel like we have been create like being been able to generate more breakaways than usual on the penalty kill i don't know i, I feel like maybe that that's might be a product of the system i don't know that's what i've just what i felt but anyways maybe from pure angle i know not not from mitch martin i just meant in general just like i feel like we i'm not just not used to seeing it, i guess i don't know i'm gonna say something kind of controversial i actually don't care that much about the penalty kill. yeah Fair. I think I think your penalty kill is a lot at the mercy of the opposing team's power play. Absolutely. It's a lot systems based. Like if you you can look at numbers, like the best penalty killers for the least the last two years have been Zach Hyman and Mitch Marner. So like Zach Hyman's gone. They have the eighth best penalty kill in the league. Like it hasn't correlated yet. No. So like you I, like you could take Mitch Marner off. I don't think it. I think like, they have some better penalty killers there. I mean like Andre Kasha and David Camp are pretty good penalty killers. Yeah, those like those guys can do it. Like. Taking Mitch Marner off the penalty kill, I think, would be good because he could like rest more. Yeah, get more so, ice elsewhere. I haven't looked at the penalty kill. I think kill the big enough, draw but. to put Marner on the penalty kill before was his offensive threat. Mm -hmm. I don't think our current system is like catering to that, which it, it shouldn't be. I don't know, like don't get scored on is the mm -hmm. motto of the penalty kill. So it's like, then what's he kind of doing out there, right? I honestly, I'll look. I'll, I'll look for it this week. I, yeah. I have. I honestly, it's everyone's homework. Keep an eye on the yeah. penalty kill. When we, in, I well, when we watched that Boston game again, it actually looked like they were playing more of a box in that game. Maybe because of even the forwards, I thought. Maybe because of the personnel on Boston, 
It, it seems to me they why. were looking looking to take away like not only the pass across but like specifically the middle shot that Tampa Bay liked to do a lot of, like with that 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 guy in, in the Tampa slot. and Boston was getting off that middle shot. That's mm-hmm. the only thing they I don't, don't like. I, I'm not that privy to like exactly the roles on the penalty kill. It's kind of hard because again, like you're really at the mercy of the opposing power play. Yeah. But I I don't really disagree with what you're saying. Like if you think he's like. If you don't think he's maximizing the penalty kill, like why are you wasting some minutes? Like that's what I, that's so, my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I get that. Well, I'll have to keep an eye on it though. I like that analysis. All right, so some homework for the viewers too. Exactly, exactly. Um, I had something else for like homework, keep an eye on, but I can't remember. Deep pairings, right now. maybe. Um, depth players. Well, that's like just gonna be something that's gonna be mm-hmm. announced. I yeah. think. Like, we'll see how Justin Hall does. It's a Mm-hmm. Big, big game for Justin Hall. So, do you have the final poll results? Do you remember what they were from the Justin Hall versus Travis Dermott? Who would you rather trade on the oh, Instagram? Was, I'm uh, kind of putting you on the spot here. I believe that Justin Hall was more like people wanted him to be traded more, but I'll yeah, pull up the exact numbers right now. What do you think? I, I would just take the guy that gets you the bigger return, honestly, at this point. Like, I think they're like neither has shown anything like to separate themselves from each other. The thing that Justin Hall does have is that he has shown in the past to be able to play top four minutes against strong opponents. Um, on the other hand, Dermot, who hasn't been able to do that, has shown that in limited time, he's very, very strong analytically. So there's pros and cons to each. I think our, I, I love the way with how Sandin and Lilligan as a pairing are playing. I think that lets you take the risk and just give get essentially the best return for either guy. So uh, my answer, long story short, Get, get the best return. Okay, I'm going to delete your cop-out answer of best return. Let's say the return was the same. Who would you... I'm not going to get you off the hook there. I'm going to make you answer the question. Quickly, let's go to the poll first. I'm 100... I, I, I say hole over Dermot. As of right now, just, you know, maybe it changes. Maybe hole plays awesome against Philadelphia or whatever. But the poll was like 67% hole, 33% Dermot in terms of... If they make a move, who would you rather the least trade away? Everyone, more people said uh, Justin Hole than Travis Dermott. I, I don't know if I disagree with that. Um, the thing, I think you said it perfectly, Dermott, if this is going to sound like simple analysis. Like when he plays against weaker competition, I think he plays really well. I think when he yeah. plays against better competition, I think he plays really bad. And I think Hall falls in the middle. I think he almost plays the same against, mm-hmm. but that's not great. It's like he plays mediocre against all competition. So yeah. I don't know who you would prefer. Yeah. But what I, does the the zone entry data say? So far? Travis Dermott's better. better. Yeah. yeah, especially yeah. at breaking zone up entries? zone entries yeah. for sure. Yeah, way better. Wow. Yeah. 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 At, at in terms of like anything past the red line, like mm. you said, like Dermott's like his brain breaks, even some zone exits. But like he's constantly in the right position. He yeah. does a good job with his stick. He hits like he's. But again, a lot of that is against mm. lower competition. Yeah. So you tend yeah. to see bottom six players dump it in more mm-hmm. right compared to top six players and one thing i've noticed from what we've been watching is just that it's not his issue isn't when a guy's in front of him it's when a guy gets the step he doesn't know when to turn and how to kind of react to a player going around him if he's like gonna get beat that's oh, where he struggles did, Dermot, who did we see that against was it tampa bay i think tampa bay boston he got, i think maybe no tampa maybe bay tampa. he got worked by someone mm-hmm. because of the positioning yeah so yeah, it was, it was Tampa Bay. They he he gave up a pretty good chance because he didn't turn the proper mm-hmm. way. Sometimes like he's he has decent but, gap control on guys coming in towards yeah. him, but once they get on his hip, he struggles. Then but, again, Morgan Riley does yeah. that every single. That's shift. true. It's, so. it's, it's, it Jake. It reminds me of Jake Gardner. 
The other problem with Hall is he was an absolute disaster getting out of our zone this year. Like he, he was has like, been, yeah. It's it was so bad. It was like yeah, he's not really rough. Um, but yeah, I think it's close. I, I, there's something about Dermot that like you you wish you could just squeeze it out of him. You know, like it's, oh, yeah. you could see it there. Like the physical talent, the draft pedigree, everything. It's like points you towards Dermot. But again, like how much are we putting stock into like Hall's? good 40 games last year. Cause he did have a good, what 40 game stretch mm-hmm. kind of yeah. tailed off at the end. Like I, I just really hope that Leafs management doesn't look at this year's nice burp. Wow. We're on our <laughs> a game today. I hope the, the Leafs management doesn't look at this year's decor and go like, Oh, they were good last year. It'll continue yeah. into next year at the trade deadline. If it's still like very, very up and down, you need to upgrade defensively. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I I'll be honest though. Like, I wouldn't hate. Let's say they do trade Justin Hall. I wouldn't hate trying some Morgan Riley, Timothy Lilligren, and Rasmus Sandin, Travis Dermott. I really wouldn't. Like, I think yeah. honestly, maybe I'm jumping the gun on All Timothy right, Lilligren. It's gonna be tough for Timothy Lilligren because Morgan Riley's can be a disaster out there. I know, but honestly, like from what I've seen from Lilligren, I, I, I'm Solid. Sh- not shocked, but I'm like really impressed. Mm-hmm. He really doesn't yeah. do anything poor. He does everything really well. He's defensively responsible, sure. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised that it is translated yeah. as well as it has because we saw all of this preseason. We saw all of this in the AHL, especially. Seen it for two years in the AHL. The passing, I've seen it for like five now. That's nothing new. But the defensive play, it's like, okay, like it's, it's looking a lot better in the AHL. But historically speaking, when you look at it, like how many rookie D-men – have been able to step up and play against good competition in the NHL. Rookie demon. Good competition in the NHL and succeed at it. They need to be eased in. That he's was my succeeding. thinking. But he's doing pretty well. Absolutely. Because his game is so well-rounded. The Leafs took their time with him. Maybe that's a good thing. Hell. But also, I, something maybe goes into the fact, like, most of his previous work in the NHL, like, 1920, he had a, a Maybe two, it was two, 11 games, 11 games, Last two, like five two game games. stretches, but it was like really sheltered, man. Yeah. He essentially wasn't playing. No, was very, very and sheltered. last year was just spot work, a game here, a game mm-hmm. there. I think there's something to be said about, okay, Tim, you're playing seven in a row now. Just mm-hmm. go play or yeah. whatever he's played six games in a row. Go play. And I, I, I think that, this year they had to do it as well, yeah. where it's like, but you, he, he grabbed the, he grabbed the, whatever you want to call by it. Its horns. Yeah. And he's, he's been really, really impressive. The only thing. Like we talked about is like him and Sanding together, their gap control is not NHL level not yet. No. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to point out is teams are also like, I guess because they're smaller, this is a weird thing. They're dumping it in more against those guys, mm-hmm. regardless of the gap control, yeah. which again, maybe a bottom six thing. But the thing that's good about them is they're so quick to pivot and get the puck out. Yeah. It actually works to a benefit. I think a lot of the thought is these are two smaller Swedish defensemen. Maybe we can dump it in and really punish them, but yeah. they're so quick at getting mm-hmm. the puck out. We did see yeah. Sandine though. He got beat on. I can't remember who it was against. It was a bigger forward, and they were able to get the body contact on him yeah. and turn, cause a turnover mm-hmm. there. Again, they didn't move the puck as well against LA, which was interesting. Sleepy game. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. Chalk excuse, it up to a was. sleepy game. It really was. But, um, and yeah. the other one, other thing I noticed when we're track, we tracked the Boston game, like Boston dumped it in almost more than any team that's played the Leafs yeah. yet. And I get it because that's kind of Boston's MO, but I really think that is not the way you beat the Leafs. Like no. even think about Montreal, Montreal liked to dump it in, in the playoff series, but most of their goals came off the rush. Right. Yeah. And we saw, even saw that with Boston, Boston dumped it in all night. 
their third period goal is on the rush. Like Marshawn spins back, passed it across, and they scored a power play goal. Like their dumpings really didn't lead to much all night because yeah. the Leafs have primarily good. How did as, the how did the Kings score? Off the rush. Off the rush, and well, a couple turnovers, but yeah, off the rush. Off the rush. Of them. And I really think that people are almost playing the Leafs wrong. I think you probably want to carry it in against mm-hmm. some of their other D because if you think about it, like who's with Hall out, who's bad at transitioning the puck out of the zone once it's dumped in? Like we've seen Sandin and Lilgren do it well. Muzzin and Brody, Brody's a good stretch. Pass, Brody yeah. and Muzzin have been all, like up and down, but mm-hmm. good. And we know Morgan Riley's great at that. Yeah. So yeah. It's Morgan Riley's really thing. good at skating the puck out. Yeah, but I'm just saying. And like, so is Travis. Durham. In terms of like, in terms of transitioning and mm-hmm. getting from point A to point B, 100. Exactly. percent Yeah. So. It's just interesting. I get why they traded for Taylor Hall, though. Like, Taylor Hall is, like, literally a breakout machine and zone entry machine. Like, without Taylor Hall, I'd be really critical of how their top six is built. But a lot of people say, like, oh, the Leafs. Craig Smith's not bad. Craig Smith's good, but he's a cycle player, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's a good cycle player, though. But I heard on the radio, oh, the Leafs, 14 goals in a row, top players. Like, what if they're not going well? How are you going to win? Like, no offense. If Boston's top players aren't going well, they're literally – no chance of winning yeah, games. Find so, yeah. me a team in the league where that's the case. Exactly. Yeah. So even Tampa, like we talked about, their their depth was. Not, I know Corey Perry and Pat Maroon scored, but like not much threatening from that mm-hmm. bottom six. Really. No, they got they got absolutely nothing. Yeah. But kind of interesting that uh, Taylor Hall completely worked David Camp, but uh, Andre Kopitar got his lunch eaten by him. Interesting. Camp is so. still he's going to be an all season experiment for us. I really think they're still going to trade for a guy at the deadline. We'll see. At center. Yeah. It's, I mean, the Tomas Hurdle situation, like, when you break, it's not going to be like, uh, oh, at the deadline, if San Jose's in a playoffs, but like, San Jose might look at it like, I don't know if does Tomas Hurdle want to re sign? He knows the cap structure of the team. Like, will he want, well, they're going to get seven mil freed up from Vander Kane. And it's, I still think it's almost too early to like look at the standings. Yeah. And be like, this yeah. team's bad. Like, is Colorado going to be bad all year? Probably not. Like, you know no. what I mean? It's, yeah. Is Buffalo going to stay, like, around a playoff spot? No. like Probably not. Detroit's up there. Will they remain the same? I, I, I mean, Detroit's I, interesting. I mean, they got a, some young guys in there. No, so I think we'll Detroit, see. honestly, is Detroit closer than Ottawa? Like, I don't know. I don't know. That's a question for another podcast, but, like, it's yeah. not that different if you look at no. their team. I like Mort Sider. Mort Sider and Lucas Raymond are. They look pretty good. Lucas Raymond has been phenomenal for them. Yeah, so is Mort Sider. Like, like. Yeah, they've both been really, really and good. And they already have Dylan Larkin and so Tyler fun. Bertuzzi and Fabry. And yeah. What does Ottawa have? Well, Ottawa has no Matt Matherson, oh, but it's like it's similar. It's similar, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a similar situation. I agree. I, I'm looking like the teams in terms of trading. Like Dallas, think, how's I, Dallas doing? Yeah, Dallas is kind of struggling. Anaheim is doing well, but do you think they'll like any of those D would be available? Is Seattle going to keep struggling? Like, I could see them. They're still a young team. They still need young players. Like, we know Arizona's going to be bad, but who from that roster are you actually interested in? I don't know. Castle's getting moved out for sure. The one that's interesting to me is Chicago because they're, like, with everything that's happened, like, they fired their GM. They fired their coach. Like, there's got to be... Tyler Johnson? There's got to be something there. Tyler Johnson retained? I know, but he's got how many years left? Three years? That many years? I thought it was one. No. I don't think so. Oh. Let me look. But. Never mind. Never mind then. Anywho, uh, yeah, I'll let you look. Years. Three more years. Okay, never mind. Damn it. We'll, we'll, we'll start talking about Thought this, I was on to something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Take a look. Maybe someone. Like. Trade deadline player of the week. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I like that one. Um, anyways, so we touched on Justin Hall. Oh, so 
So for Jake Muzzin this year, is there something in particular that you're seeing that's been different from other years? I think for me, it's hurt. weirdly been decision making. Maybe because of injuries, and he's forced to do things a little bit differently. But his decision making to me has been really weird. Is there anything else? Like I think physically? he's had like either good games or bad games. Some of them could be like brain farts. Some of them could be injury. But again, I thought against Tampa and Boston, he was pretty good. Like he was really good in my opinion. L.A. was a rough game, and then he, like he did had just some really bad games against bad teams, like bad game against yeah. Ottawa, like Chicago, bad game against Chicago. I don't know, but I, I do. I'm not really that worried about him, to be honest. Like I know, mm-hmm. I think it's been a little overblown. I think the start was bad, but I think he's like righted the ship so yeah. far. So I think, yeah, I, I think it's just more of a rhythm thing. I think he he's been good for literally his entire career. Uh, like I, I hope that now is not the time when he falls no, off. No, not right? at like, all. And you know what? Again, suck. like it's an 82 game season. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, you're going to have peaks and valleys, right? It's Just not going it to be goes. steady, steady Freddie the entire way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, what about, what do you think? Like, I think his decision-making has been a little bit off. Um, yeah. This, like every goal that he's on the ice where you're like, Oh, what happened here with Jake Muzzin? It's like, well, he just made a really stupid decision here. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I can't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to be able to diagnose it, but like, it's just like, why did you make, why did you do this? Right, it's not like oh, he just got he's slow and he got beat to a puck battle or got outworked or whatever. It's just like, why are you being an idiot? Yeah, and I think those things can be like a variance thing too, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. that ends up in the back of that, sometimes it doesn't. But mm-hmm. I'll call it when I'm concerned about a player. I, I'm not really not that concerned with Jake Muzzin, to be honest. True, true. Do you guys want to get into a little bit Tavares injury? Question yes. Mark question? Well, he took a maintenance day, but. The, uh, the report that I read was what he, like he it's might not play him and Kosh decision. might not play tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, game time they're, decisions. They're going to travel and there'll be probably game time decisions. So to John Tavares and Andre Kosh are game time decisions yeah. against Philadelphia. So I was going to ask if that's the case, what would the lineup look like? You well, Semyonov's going to draw in. And it would be Semyonov and Joey Anderson. Because they're, yeah. they're on the they're active on the roster, roster right yeah. now because uh, they got called up when Marasic got put on air. Yeah. We I, saw uh, Andre Kosh was the shoulder. Yeah, that was a dirty Tom play. Tom Whitsing. Uh, what was it again? I can't remember. I can't remember. I forget which event. He kind of just, like, not that oh, fell on him, and then he, like, oh, fell with his weight yeah, yeah. on the back of his was head. Was that, like, the first play? One no. Of the fr- no, 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 no. It was in, like, the third period. Okay. But also, like, okay, this is really bad to say about a player, but I actually kind of understand why Kasha gets a lot of injuries. He plays with no fear. Like, he no. plays with a reckless abandon. Like, yeah. you see it a lot. He's get, He's has no problem putting himself in like compromising positions, which has maybe been bad for his career. But like you can see how he ends up with the puck a lot. Like he really has no fear at all. No. Just, just something I've noticed. Like he's been great. I mean, like the point total is not going to show it, but he's been great. He, this year. He's like mm-hmm. fourth or fifth on the Leafs in shots. And he's yeah. not playing that much. Like he's shooting like 2% or something. He's going to score goals. And at times his pile, his, his pylons are teammates. <laughs> his um, teammates are pylons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, do you think they'd put Marner back with Matthews if Tavares was out? And go Kerfoot, Nylander, maybe Semyonov or Joey Anderson? That'll be something to... I, I, I don't understand why they would shift the lineups that much, but that would be interesting. It's, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. For sure. Because historically they've done that. When Tavares has been out, mm-hmm. they like putting Marner and Matthews. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That, that is true. All right. Let's get into a vanilla and favorite player of the week. Sounds good. Who All did right. you guys have? I sent you three of each. 
I said I responded to the Insta roster. story, and Joey said, "Why did you name the whole team?" But I wanted all true? these guys to get recognition, both <laughs> positively and negatively. But I like hearing the Instagram all right. answers first, mm-hmm. and then you can Let's end with my Instagram answer. Get into it. All right. So let's start from most recent to earliest. So Stu Mills said Tavares and Sandine. I don't. Sorry, was that to Nick? Tavares obviously favorite. No, he's saying oh. Sandine Vanilla. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Oh, okay. Maybe we may, we. I, don't, I wish you could do two like questions on the same Insta story. Make it so much easier. You could like. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. Put Sandine as Vanilla. I don't think he's not going to win it at all. Uh, so you said Marner Tavares, Lilligren, Camp Engvall Dermot. That's what I wrote. So Camp Engvall Dermot as Vanilla. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Marner Tavares, Lilligren as favorite. Yes. I think Marner Tavares, because like if you criticize them for not producing and then they just keep producing and scoring goals, like you got to give it crazy. To yeah. And I, I really, again, shockingly impressed with Lilligren. I think Campbell had a bad game last night, so I didn't add him. But I think mm-hmm. like if you had to say like player of the month, it would be Jack Campbell for me. Yes. Oh, yeah, Jack Campbell has been. I mean, yeah, if I put this up, yeah, you're you're right. If I put this up one day before, like, it would have been Jack I think Campbell. it would have been Jack Campbell. Yeah. Second star of the week, I believe, for the NHL. Yeah, he was. He was. The entire NHL. I know, he was yeah. great. Um, all right, let's get into some other ones here. Michael Impey said, favorite Tavares, Vanilla Engvall. Yeah, good one, Imp. Uh, Julian Gaudio said, Tavares and Richie again. Yeah, I think that's going to be a popular one there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tevi Mendel said Richie Vanilla, John Favorite. Casey 3.6 said Soup Carried. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Muscatello. Joe Muscatello said uh, Nick Richie. Vanilla. Just just Nick Richie. She's been that he's, bad. He's yeah. been he's been like exactly what Jimmy Vesey was for us last yeah, year. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, no, 100. Like, <laughs> so he's been the vanilla player. Literally, exactly. He's, like the Jimmy Vesey. Can we Sorry. just say that's why? Like, Sorry. I don't know if everyone knows that that's I, why it's called the vanilla. Is that rude to Jimmy? Because, well, I don't know. It was in the Amazon. Yeah, yeah in the Amazon. Their fault. To his said, ours, face said fault. the Jimmy Vesey experience has been vanilla. vanilla. Yeah. So Andrew Mills asked us to clarify that. That's why. Really? Shout out Andrew. Anyways. Might as well just call. I mean, we all know it. It's the Jimmy VC Vanilla Player of the Year yeah, award. Yeah. So if you're wondering, that's what it is. Right? Yeah. Jen Squisato, Squisato said, uh, John Tavares has been literally leading this team. It's John Tavares 110%. I don't Ooh. hate it. Andrew Mills said, can we keep the same? Can't remember what he said. I think it was Tavares and Marner and Richie and... Hole. Hole. Hole hasn't played. Yeah, but... But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan W. said, John Tavares and Pierre Engvall. Jesse Austin said, favorite JT, Vanilla Richie. I believe they said the same thing last week. Kind of funny. Johnny Clasby said, John Tavares and Jake Muzzin. And Kyle DeMarkey said, Logren Sandine Pear, favorite, and Richie Vanilla. That guy's smart. I could just tell. That's a good one. I could just tell. Uh, what do you think, Jason? I, I love all the love for John Tavares. Yeah, um, he, he's I a guarantee to be on. Yeah, he, he definitely deserves it. But, like, I I... A lot of this is because he's moved with Mitch Marner now, no? Like, it's just a coincidence. It's, it, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Anyways, but I'm just saying, like, I, I want to give Marner, Marner his credit because he just gets thrown garbage That was sarcasm. Of, I, yeah, way. sorry. Yeah. To that clarify, was sarcasm. that was sarcasm. <laughs> you shocked me for a second. It can't be a coincidence. All yeah. these guys have career years, no, including behind, Austin Matthews, yeah, by the way. Behind right. every good least goal scorer is a Mitch Marner playing on his wing. But um, JVR has, what, $40 million to thank him for? <laughs> Tyler Bozak got five. Tyler Bozak yeah, got 15 mil. Yeah. yeah. And then 
did nothing after. Uh, yeah, no, I I think definitely Tavares or Marner as the as the uh, favorite, and I like I like your three that you picked. You you hit the nail on the head. But for me, Vanilla, it's not even it's not even a competition at this point. I I would say Vanilla, we, Richie, and Engvall. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Richie versus Engvall. I what think that's a hundred percent. Because you got like three or four Engvalls with the Richies mm-hmm. there yeah. too. Yeah. And then I mean Tavares kind of just won it, but mm-hmm. who do you want? Do you want to like maybe? So throw- what's been interesting though this week, the past three games, the expected goals number for Tavares and Mar- Tavares Marner Kerfoot have not been very good. Is there any concern there, or is it be- being because like last game it wasn't great, and then? The no, I think the game- the third period against Boston and the LA game it was kind of bad, but they're also mm-hmm. like still generating high danger chances, which is good. And I think a lot of the Tavares stuff is power play related. I think he's been pretty effective on the power play, even just moving yeah. around. So is Mitch Martin. Like, and yeah, that, that's not going to show up on five on five. And so. like, again, what did we talk about last year? We told everyone that the expected goals for Matthews and Marner would come and then they didn't come. So sometimes it's good when you're, you're actually scoring with low expected goals, yeah. like fighting your way through a rough stretch. Yeah. That's maybe a mark of a good, a good player, right? Yeah. We didn't, all, I mean, that's why I was a little surprised Austin Matthews didn't get more love. I thought he had a great week. I did too, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I think still not fully clicking that yeah. line. Yeah. I really, really don't as, think it's yeah. – it's been good. I think a lot of that is just Austin Matthews' yes. individual play or just William Nylander individual mm-hmm. plays. Like, yeah. I still don't know how much they're like fully – It's I been st- kind of crazy. This week, they, the past three games, the power play kind of carried – It did. Yeah, <laughs> it, did. it really did. Wow. Such a foreign feeling. <laughs> and then the other one, they also scored goals with after a PK with um, Tavares, Tavares Mar- Matthews, uh, no, Tavares, Nylander. Nylander, Matthews. And they also scored at the end of a period with Marner, Nylander, Matthews. Which is kind of funny because I remember in one of the Steve Dangle lives, he's, he's like, why do they keep doing this? They never score when it's yeah, when okay. they when they put yeah. those guys yeah. out there. Okay, yep. Guy watches every too- game. Yep, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just, like, they do score. They've scored a lot doing that, so. And also, even if they have it, like odds are they will. <laughs> yeah, so, they generate good chances. So uh, why not? But yeah, I, I think that's good. We'll have to look this week if they continue that downward trend and expect the goals because they were also like playing unsustainably well in the previous week, right? Like ninety percent expected goals over yeah, two and a half yeah, games or whatever. They were so. not giving up anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so yeah. So who would you put with Tavares for Player of the Week then? Ooh. Like Jack Campbell really didn't. Nobody voted for him. Game. I want it. Yeah. We, do we it? got one. Should we do Lilgren? Or that's no, just a not enough there. It's just a. Is it just it's a coming. JT? It's coming. Bad? Like just JT. Yeah. No. Um. That's an interesting one. Who would be the second? Because JT got like pretty much cleaned up with Marner. Uh, I you think could, we do the vote JT versus Marner this right, week. Let's yeah. do it. I'm, I'm gonna vote JT. That. That's I voted Marner yeah, last week. I think Mar- JT is my, my vote as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have a well sneaky feeling Austin Matthews is going to win when we do this next week. I don't know. Clip it. If I'm yeah. wrong, fine. But I have a very sneaky feeling that he's going to win. I do. I mean, fit your prediction. Sure. Why not? You know what? Another problem maybe with, with why Matthews isn't getting this is like we kind of keep missing. Like we did it against like after the Vegas game, he just scored two goals. Mm-hmm. And he didn't score in the games ahead of that. And then. After the Boston game, he had just scored two goals in that game, but then didn't score against L.A. So maybe just a timing thing for him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, from when we're actually doing the ball. I thought he looked pretty good against the Kings. I thought he was the best lead forward against the Kings. Yeah, he was. That that play where he just picked up speed through the neutral zone, took the puck, and then tried to put the 
like the outside inside kind of move on on quick there, but put it over, over the, the net. net. That was yeah. so nice and really like, nice. Thought they were buzzing that night. Also, and the in the third period, he was getting pretty frustrated throwing the body more too. Usually, when he does that, the next game he comes out pretty hot. Oh, so, yeah. and maybe it will be with not saying he's been bad, but if it's with Mitch Marner, it's probably a good chance he'll score against Philly. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right. So, anything else to touch on? I think we. Do you want a quick preview the Philly? Yes. So we got Philly on Wednesday. So when yeah. you listen to this, then you got back to back Flames at home, Buffalo on the road. Yeah. Yes. I haven't had one of those Buffalo back to backs in a mm. while. It's usually not go well for the Leafs over the last couple of years, but and then Nashville at home. I think it's on a Tuesday. It's a bit of an up and down schedule. I, I like Philly's lineup. I think they have a lot of depth. I think they might have a Ryan. A lot of Ellis. talent that can score goals. Yeah. So they're like, Philly is like one of the deeper teams in the league. They just don't have like high-end talent and the question for them is just going to be can carter hart continue to write the ship the other thing is it seems like ryan ellis and kevin hayes may come back so that would be a wow. big boost to their lineup but not for sure for wednesday but it looks seems like they're going to come back in the next week or so 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 kind of prediction wise with philadelphia like what i've seen the few games that i've watched of them they're going to get outshot they're the volume is going to go against them However, they have some guys, as I mentioned, I think last episode, they have some guys that can put the puck in the net. So it's more so of a, if you give them an opportunity, their finishing ability is really good. So expect the Leafs to win the deserve to win meter The issue is you really need to shut down. JVR, who has put up 35 goals in a season. Cam Atkinson, who's put up 40 goals in a season. Claude Giroux an excellent point getter. But Okay, you shook your head when I mentioned those first two guys. Those are depth guys I know. that have put up 30-plus goals You're in right. a season. Claude Giroux, Lo, um, Sean Couturier. If Kevin Hayes is back, Konechny is a fantastic player. Yoel Farabee is another good player. Like It's good depth. And the list goes on and on. I'm not but, even a Philly fan. I'm just rattling the off. The other one is Derek that. Broussard has played in Kevin Hayes' spot. He's actually played really well, which would probably surprise a wow. lot of like Ottawa fans specifically. But he's played really well. Like. Not, well, like he's been a couple other Islanders. No, and the last Arizona two years since. he's been, yeah, nothing. But, yeah, rough. But um, I still think they probably will be. I don't know if they'll be favored on the road. It'll be a close game. Like we took a bath last night on the Leafs. We've had them for the rink wrap pick. It's tough. That was a tough. They're minus two forty. How are we doing on that? By the way, a little up and down. <laughs> you know how it is. Um, <laughs> Go follow us on the marketplace, please. But yeah, I, I think Philly is a really deep team. Um, it's going to be take advantage of your Rasmus Ristolainen's. Exactly. It's going to be goaltending for them still. This we'll goaltending has been yeah. good so far. Martin Jones probably won't keep that up. And hopefully Carter Hart does for them. Martin Jones has looked okay. I mean, but, we'll see. We'll see. You're right. And then the flames, one of the hottest teams in the league. You want to talk oh, about yeah. your boy? What? Mon- the third line, third Andrew line guy Mon- who's going to make Japan. team Canada. <laughs> Andrew Mangiapane been absolutely lighting it up this year. He looks great. I haven't gotten to watch any Flames games, but um, they're good. The only like the only thing for them is I still like they're still like I don't want to say thin down the middle, but like yeah, Monahan's been disappointing. Backlund seems yeah, to have taken a step body back. Is broken. Elias Lindholm has been probably their best player this yeah. year. The thing I like about him is he plays a good shot suppression game as a center. So like. He's pretty good at keeping it like even keeled on the ice. Like not much happens either way, but he's a great finisher. He's been a great finisher his whole career. So he has that like not necessarily a shutdown center situation, but you know, he can 
play that kind of mold while still scoring mm-hmm. the odd goal. So he's just like almost a perfect second line center, in my opinion. But yeah, they, they've been like kind of unsustainably hot so far. Yeah. So and Markstrom's like playing unreal for them. He's a good goalie. He's a good goalie. And we'll see. We know Buffalo will just call it a trap game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Man, well, who's playing in that game? That's the biggest question for me. It's a back to back, right? The Leafs. Is it going to be? Is it going to be? Hutchinson, Hutch probably, or is no. it going to be Wall? I think it'll be Hutchinson. He's Keith's been threatening with Wall or Calgren, saying, "Oh, they've been playing pretty well." Which just Joseph Wall. My big thing with him is like the physical talent is there. We've seen him put up some monster games in the AHL. It's just then the next game he gives up five goals on twenty-five shots, and his numbers just com- get completely worked. So it's like the consistency still needs to be worked out. And you need some patience with him. It's not. Because uh, I've seen people, oh, we have to see what we have in him. No. No, you do not. Alex Nedeljkovic was a 25-year-old rookie. And look how he's working out. Pretty damn good. They, thank God they took their time with him. He was on waivers at one point. Goaltending te- goal is weird. You have to take your time with it because it's such a mental grind to be able to be a good goaltender in the NHL. Absolutely. Totally agree. I think that's an interesting topic. We'll probably be talking about that, I think. Next time we talk Leafs, because especially if it's bad, because then I've already heard some of it, like, you know, Morazic, injury prone. What depth do you have? But he's out a month. It's not good. So, yeah. And then they have Nashville. Michael Na- Clutchinson. Michael Clutchinson. Nashville's almost exactly as you'd expect. Like, they played, played the same way for almost 10 years. They're a pretty strong defensive team. Their forwards play strong defensively as well. Duchesne's having a better year, which yeah. is good. Good for him. I'm happy for him. He's really struggling, but... You know, Roman Yossi is the best player Happy on that team. Makes 10 mil a year. No, I mean, he was, but he was like. <laughs> he was Kaka last year. He was horrible. Him and Johansson combined for like 45 points. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting mixed bag of teams. Nobody quite as good as Boston or Tampa. Buffalo's pretty bad. Other than that, I think you have three like teams the Leafs are better than, but we'll see. It'll be competitive. Yeah. It'll be an interesting. We haven't seen a lot of these teams in a long time, so it'll be very interesting. And we'll see if the depth it'll can step up. Because like, unfortunately, the scoring is not so going to Friday, stay. Friday, Saturday, back to back. Yeah, Friday. Those are always fun. Oh, those are good. If they win, I mean, the last time. Yeah. Womp womp womp. But the worst Friday, Saturday. <laughs> Whatever. That, that was, was horrible. Anywho, ooh, we get a little Phil Tomasino preview in Nashville. Yeah. I like that guy. He's a good player. Anywho, think that uh, closes it out. Oh, my last note on Nashville. That guy Tanner Janot. Remember, I think yeah. Nashville protected him. And we're like, who the hell is Tanner Janot? His family probably didn't even think he would get protected. Four goals this year at they, five on five. They knew something. Four goals at five on fives leads the Nashville Predators. They knew something. They knew something that we didn't clearly. We're stupid, and and David Poyle has had a job in the NHL for as long as he has for a reason. Anyways, let's throw it to the interview now. Thank you, everyone, for getting through all of that. We've got Jackson Sloan White. Mental performance coach. I think it's a very, very interesting interview. Give it a listen. Let us know what you think. All right. Now we're joined with uh, we're joined by Jackson, mental performance coach. Uh, his at is locked in performance. That's L O C K E D I N P E R F O R M A N C E. I know it's you looked at me, gave me a weird look that I had to spell it out. Um, trust me. You do <laughs> on this sort of thing. Thank you for, for joining us today, Jackson. Um, Fair enough. Happy to no have you on the podcast. Great to be here. 
course. So I just want to get started with you and how you became a mental performance coach. Like what inspired you to, to get into this sort of field? Yeah. So I was really lucky to be able to play a lot of sports as a kid. And I actually grew up in Prince Edward Island where the pure athlete pool isn't as big. So if you're good enough at a certain age, you can get to a higher level kind of quicker in terms of representing a provincial level, playing at national championships, that kind of thing, which is pretty cool. So I got the chance to do that at a fairly young age. And the first time I had one of those chances, I just absolutely choked. Like it was, it was brutal. <laughs> and on my way back, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what happened? Because the people that I was normally beating day after day, all of a sudden they were way ahead of me. And I'm like, okay, it's not anything physical that's going on. It's like, I, it's not like I didn't have the physical ability and talent to do better there. And I was like, okay, if it wasn't the physical, then what happened? So I started Googling, I started researching, I started reading every book that I could. And I kind of, from a young age, started re recognizing that, okay, my mental needs to improve here, <laughs> or this isn't going to work. So I started kind of reading books and doing what they said and kind of like experimenting on myself, basically. And it worked really well. <laughs> Performance went up a lot. So I figured if this works really well for me, I want to help other people in a similar position to me overcome the same things, not have to go through the same challenges and issues and setbacks that I did. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then you did a master's at uh, a Western university as well, right? Correct. Yeah. I did a master's there and I got to work with their baseball team as on paper. I was their assistant coach and I did do some duties like that, like throwing BP and things, but a lot of it too is on the mental side, which was really cool. And that was a blast. Great learning experience there overall. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to kind of get into your current role now. So could you take us through what does exactly does a mental performance coach do for, um, for a team? So you're hired by the team, right? And mm. what exactly are your responsibilities and roles to, to help the athletes? I try to tailor it as much to what the, coaching staff feels the team needs and then after spending some time there seeing what I think they need so a lot of my roles have been more on the individual side of like if a player needs you we want you to be there so if that player say is slumping or they it's their draft year and they're really stressing themselves out and that's bringing down their performance things like that like I can help out with those things and then from a team level we can start to notice like okay when we play against this team, we're more tight or like, oh, we're getting closer to, to uh, the end of the trading period and guys are starting to get a little antsy and on edge, like little things that are happening within the group that the coach feels, hey, we need some help in this area. I can come in and help everyone on a group level with that as well. Or if I see certain things like this team as a whole has a really hard time resetting after mistakes or handling adversity and bringing that to the staff and saying, Hey, I can help with this. Do you want that help or not? And very rarely do they say no, <laughs> like whatever you can do to get better. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how I like to approach it. Different coaches do it different ways. Some like to do basically all group stuff and that's cool. Um, I like to be a nice mix of both. Cause if you make the individuals better, you make the team better 
And if you have something on a team level you can work with, by all means, why not? Makes sense. And it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I actually know someone that it was their before their last year in the OHL, they had their best year. Um, they got brought in on an ATO to Montreal and it mm. looked like there was a contract in place afterwards. Their last year in the OHL, they said they were like pretty much counting saves only like their stats. They were laser focused on and brutal. Yeah. It didn't go well. It didn't tell, go very well, but I, I hear you. I tell every guy that I talk to and I'll try, I'll keep it PG, but yeah. I freaking hate stats. Hate them with a passion. Like so many guys get glued to them. So many guys get focused on them and it just, it never helps. No, <laughs> never does. So yeah, I feel, I feel for the guy and I see players, all the time who are either already down that route and they reach out or they're just starting to go down there. And especially at this age where guys are trying to get to that next level and they're very close, the closer they get, the more they think they have to pay attention to, Oh, this is what's going to get me there. Mm -hmm. But no, it's the quality of your play night after night. It's going to get you there. Not the numbers that come with it. The numbers are just going to fall. Yeah. It doesn't help, especially as a goalie. When I was at, at uh, playing at Laurier, that shot clock behind you, and you're just kind of almost doing mental math, like <laughs> stop this next one, then it'll be. Yeah, I'll be up to nine. I'll be up to nine hundred. Or... Yeah, <laughs> I just got lit up. It really didn't matter what was going Fair. on. Josh, you had a, a question there. Yeah. So when people hear, you know, a mental performance coach, you know, hockey has this really hardened culture, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. twenty, thirty years ago, people would say, "Oh, why do you need that? You're a tough hockey player," but we've learned so much about like the importance of mental health, you know, and just even not only in, in a day-to-day life, but for a lot of these athletes as well. Do you think that the, you know, the role of a performance coach is becoming more and more relevant and more and more important as we've learned, like, you know, the more about the importance of mental health? Oh, a thousand percent. And it's so great to see the field kind of not as much being recognized, but almost exploding and being put to use. That's the most important thing. And it's even being put to use to the point where like teams don't just have one of me who are there for like mental performance. They also have someone who's more specifically on just like the more mental health things as well. Mm -hmm. So they have a bunch of range of like people working on this stuff. And I'm so glad that the culture is starting to shift over in this direction. Like, as you know, culture shifts slow, especially in a game as old as this, but it's coming and the benefits that players are getting, it's just, it's unreal. I'm really happy that it's moving in this direction and I really hope it keeps going because players are benefiting and something you don't hear about as much either. Coaching staff is benefiting too. Like we aren't just, we aren't just here for players. Like coaches are under extreme pressure. Staff are under extreme pressure and we can help with that. So I hope everyone benefits. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, you don't really, think about like the coach in these scenarios, but like if the team loses six in a row, then it's their, it's their assets in the jackpot, so to speak. A hundred percent. And the coaches have even less control over what's going on than the players do. Right. Exactly. So, and usually the less in control we are of something, if it's something that plays a factor in our well being, we focus on it more, whether that's good for us or not. So coaches are actually, pretty susceptible if they don't keep the right kind of mindset about things. Interesting. Oh, that's a good point. Um, I wanted to kind of transition now. Uh, we had a couple 
Maple Leafs related questions. This is a Toronto Maple Leafs related podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking off, off recording. And as you mentioned, it's not physical with them. It's got, it's between the ears. Like when you see someone like Mitch Marner go to the playoffs two years in a row now and not perform up to the level that he's supposed to. And I mean, even in game six, we saw him almost in tears in the penalty box because he made us see a puck over glass penalty. Like what do you see there? And what do you see that the mental performance coach can kind of get, lend a hand to a player like that? A player like that. I'll, I'll start off by saying every player is a little different and the way that they perceive their situation plays a huge role in how we'd approach it. But just looking at it from like the outside, looking in the things you see are like, obviously the massive pressure and expectation, not just talent wise, but also monetary wise. (laughs) That's a a big part of it for sure. Uh, Team performance and lack of performance and how that puts extra pressure on someone. It really all depends on, how do these factors influence that player and how do they cope with how they see that situation and the amount of stress and challenge they feel and where they feel those pressures are coming from. If they feel like those challenges and those pressures are coming from somewhere that they can't handle and they can't control, that's a pretty desperate kind of place to be in. And it's funny. Um, Every, every Leafs game, I'm, I'm a fair user of Twitter. <laughs> I, I like to go on there. You get some good news there quickly. After every Leafs game, I usually see a few names in like the trending on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And who's always there? <laughs> he's always there, <laughs> right? Always. Seems like and he's there every day. Yeah, exactly. And even just that, like humans – we've evolved from, we have to care about what other people think because back in the day, if we didn't, we get cast out of our tribe and our chances of surviving on our own be very low. But back in the day, we were physiologically wired to care about the opinions of like 20 to 40 people because that's how big our tribes were. Our brains aren't built to handle what 5 million people think of us, (laughs) right? So even just handling that kind of pressure from other people and you'll hear the odd player who will say like, Oh, like I don't pay attention to that stuff. That doesn't bother me. And for some it's true, but for most people it plays a part. Right. So long story short on the answer to that, he has a lot of things that could be challenging for him and, and impacting his ability to just let his talents flow and play his game the way he wants to. Um, So for him, it would be really IDing. okay, like what is getting at you right now mentally? What's holding you back and how can we approach it so that we can help you overcome this or at least look at the situation in a different way that'll allow you to take some of that load off of yourself and just let your game speak for itself. Uh, it's, it's a tough question, but, um, that's probably where I'd start if that were my, my job there. Yeah, exactly. It's not one of those things where it's like, Hey, you're shooting it too much from the blue line. Don't do that. It's, uh, 
there's a whole range of things. And I mean, for the past two years, it seems like it's been the topic of the off season. Uh, mm -hmm. That is quite interesting. What you mentioned about the tribes. I mean, I can't imagine he's got how many people with eyes on him every single day, every there. single day. Like imagine, imagine if that was you, like just going to your job and like you go home and you pop on Twitter and like, Oh, there's your name trending. Like, Oh, terrible performance today. Like, well, like, yeah, we can't imagine it. Right. It's just, no. it's such an otherworldly kind of idea, but for these athletes, it's the reality. It's also so backwards too, because the people who claim to be Leafs fans, which I'm sure is true, that will probably want him to succeed the most are also the people that are tearing him down the most. So yeah. It's got to be such a mental strain to think like, you know, I'm trying for you guys, but at the same time, like, give me a break a little bit, you know? Oh, a thousand percent. And you could even, we could honestly fall into a rabbit hole here of like, what does it mean to be a fan? And like on the mental side of being a fan, how does it impact how you feel when you see teams succeeding or not? And if you feel like people are doing the right things for your team or not, like a lot of that is fueled by people just being like, Hey, I, I love this team. I want this team to win. You were supposed to help us win. you're not doing it and getting mad <laughs> at that. But you're absolutely right. Like you'd, you'd hope that fans would do things to try to help more. But at the end of the day, people are going to be mad and express how they feel in 200 characters or less. <laughs> especially in this market, especially in Toronto. It's such a wild market. Like I've only moved to, I've only moved to Ontario in the last year. And obviously, you know, I've, I've watched the Leafs and I've seen what the culture is like from the outside. But even now that I'm just living closer, it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. It, it is wild. And then I've got kind of another question here. So we've seen Leaf, former Leaf school tender Frederick Anderson. He was here last year. He was almost berated. Um, and then he moves to Carolina, smaller market. Um, and he's eight and no, and he's chasing actually current Leafs goaltender Jack Campbell's record of 11 wins in a row to start a season. Um, from the mental side of the game, like what do you see there from his perspective? And like, even from a coach coming, like a player coming in like that, like say you're Carolina's mental coach, like, and you have Frederick Anderson coming in, like are there specific things you're looking to work with the player or is it just kind of a, you know, I'm here if you need me. That's a good question. Like I, my personal philosophy is you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. <laughs> and there's still a fair amount of, uh, of players who were kind of like iffy on the stuff. They don't know if they want to do it. So if I were in Carolina's position, I, I just see like, Hey, where are you at? Like, are you kind of assess the situation and go from there? Um, if he was saying things like, oh, like, you know, it was a really tough market. I felt like I was under a lot of pressure, scrutinized all the time. I had a hard time loosening up and just feeling okay with the possibility like, hey, if I, if I do make this mistake, I'm going to be fine and not just be skewered for it. If that's the case, if, if, if you move to that other market and it's like, hey, like not as much pressure here for you. We're just happy that you're here go and do your thing. We're going to support you however we can. It's hard for an athlete not to flourish and play better in an environment where they feel more supported and they don't feel like they have to be playing at a certain level and they have to be reducing, producing certain results. 
like uh, something, and this, if there's any players listening, feel free to take this and use it for yourself. But something I talk about with players all the time is thinking in have tos versus thinking in want tos. And honestly, this might be a good thing for the Leafs as well. If you think about it this way, when we think about something in a have to, as in like, I have to do this, I have to make the second round. I have to <laughs> score this many points, you know, every time we say a have to, there's a hidden consequence at the end of that sentence, right? We have to make the second round or else what, right? Like there's always a consequence there. And when we're constantly thinking in this have to kind of scenario, you know, our brains are smart and they fill in that consequence blank, even if we don't think about it. So because of that, we're always thinking about the possible negatives that could happen. And if we're always thinking about the possible negatives, we're going to be back on our heels. We're going to be playing defensive. We're going to be playing worried and we're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. But if you think and want to's, what's the hidden message that comes after that? I want to make the second round because, and then hopefully that because is a bunch of positive things, right? Even in the Leaf situation, if a player said, I want to make the second round because we haven't done it in forever and the fans would be, would be happy. If you're trying to do it for other people, even that can be a bit of a recipe for disaster because you're putting unnecessary pressure on yourself, trying to make other people feel happy when you have no control over how they feel. But usually if you're thinking and want to's that second half of the sentence is I want to, because this will be good or I'll like this, or this will be fun or this will be satisfying for me. So for him, I feel like I'm just going on kind of a rant here, but in general, this is good. keep going. <laughs> yeah. In general on the, on the Toronto side, like if, if they could switch have to's more into want to's and trust me, it's really easy to say. Yeah. It's really hard to do, <laughs> especially in an environment that's such a boiler cooker as them. But at the end of the day, what do you have to lose at this point? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Agreed. Just jumping off that, you know, so the Leafs hired Greg Harden in the off season, who's worked with Tom Brady and Michael Phelps, a lot of different athletes and, you know, a lot of the reaction I saw to that is like, oh, that's good. But, you know, these players, they're just mental midgets. They can't get it done in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. This is kind of a leading question. But, like, can you just dispel that idea that, you know, somebody who is not a quote-unquote winner can't become a winner in the future? Like, is that a real thing? or is Because I don't think it is, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd agree with you 100%. I don't think so either. Not at all. The cool thing about mental performance and mental training in general is it's a skill just like every player here learned how to shoot, learned how to skate backwards, learned all this stuff. It's not some magic pill where you go and talk to someone and all of a sudden like poof, the light bulb goes on and now you can perform at a different level. Like there are some instances where you can kind of do that on a short-term basis. And I don't like to talk about it too much because some people latch on that and be like, Oh, it is a magic pill. It's not. You have your odd little chances where you can make small, quick gains, but as a whole, it's just like training any other skill. It takes practice. It takes reps. Uh, you're probably going to fail <laughs> as you practice a skill and get better at it, but winning is a skill and the mental toughness you need and the mental skills you need to cope with pressure and face that adversity well and overcome it 
and play at your best when it matters most, that those are skills and you can build them just like you can build any other skill. So I would agree with you hundred percent. You absolutely can learn the skills necessary to do this hundred percent. Interesting. Interesting. I was actually writing all that down. That's a, the haves to versus the want to's. That's a, you know, we can, uh, we can put that on a, a piece of wood and then we'll, we'll, we'll sell it to some housewives and we'll. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not just, that doesn't just apply at the rink. That applies everywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to use that one. But um, I was also in my notes I had here. Um, where do you see the positioning transitioning to? Like, it seems like I don't like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, this is kind of a newer position they've added to organizations and in newer, I mean, it, like, where do you see it transitioning to do you, like, and becoming more prominent in organizations? Because I think it, it will. Right. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. The, the history of it's really fascinating because there was such a stigma attached to it for so long and there still kind of is people were doing this in like the sixties and the seventies. But like you said, back in the day, it was like, oh, if, if you're seeing, if you're seeing the sports psych or the mental performance person, then you're a total head case. And yeah, you got some real issues there. You know, that's how it used to be. So there have been people in the organizations in the past that have been under different titles <laughs> or they're like, they're, they have other roles and they just kind of try to do this stuff on the side too. The way I've seen it explode, even in the last five years already, now there's teams that don't just have one of us. They have like three, which is awesome. It's really good. Because <laughs> if you think about it, it's not just the big club that needs this help. The clubs below need this too, right? Like, And going back to the idea of this stuff is skills that you can learn and use to your benefit in the future. 100% you want your freshly drafted guys getting exposed to this when they go to camps right? hundred percent. You want your, your guy who's fresh out of the O, you know, first year playing in the E you want him learning this stuff because it's going to give him a better chance of developing his skills to his full potential and making that top level that he wants to get to. And as an organization, you want him to get to. So I could definitely see it going to the point where there's at least one at every level in the pro system, hundred percent. So one in the E one in the A one at the show. Um, and if not, even having a, a few more, like having a director that oversees, you even see this in baseball, which is pretty cool. There's a director of mental performance, say, that oversees what they're doing with each club and what's going on, how they're programming things. I can just see it going the same way. I could see it taking a little slower due to the hockey culture, but it's definitely moving along at a really good clip. And I don't think it'll be long until you start to see it that way too, especially when you start to see some more results, some players who are saying like, okay, who feel comfortable saying, okay, I did this and it, it helped me in X, Y, Z way. It's only a matter of time, I think. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then my second thing is like, is this stuff, is this position being implemented in like the GTHL and the minor hockey system? And how long do we, until we see it there? Because Mm. you know working from an ohl team these kids are like 16 years these kids are 16 years old getting drafted like that's really young and to be exposed to that much pressure at such an age like it's crazy like so 
sorry, going back to the question. But yeah. <laughs> no, no, dude, you, we could, you could go down that rabbit hole too. Cause it's a hundred percent true in some ways, these kids at that level at that GTHL level at that CHL level, even the OJ, like, cause you have kids who are going for the NCAA route too. They are undergoing very similar pressures that, uh, that players at the top level are just slightly different. Like it's still their dreams on the line. You know, they, they still are dedicating their lives to trying to do this. And when that draft year comes or whatever it is, it's a lot. <laughs> right. So regarding your question, like it's definitely already there. Um, I haven't seen it as much. Like I've personally, I've worked with teams at like the, honestly as young as like uh, 13 and 14 around that age, I've worked with some, some teams there just trying to help, help the team learn general skills as a whole and usually trying to help them reach a certain goal that season. But you're learning the skills and you're building it up to use it in the future too. Um, you'll definitely see there's more of us out there than you think because not every team advertises it <laughs> for sure. Like I'll, I'll reach out to a team like, Hey, like, uh, who's your person for so-and-so? And they'll say, Oh, it's this person. And they're not on their website or anything like that. Um, so there is more than you think, but I a hundred percent think it's only a matter of time until there are more that are more visible as the ages go down, because all these kids are going through the same thing. And I've kind of already said it a lot, but going back to building these skills up, would you rather have a kid learn these skills when he's 13 and because he has these skills play to his potential more often as he goes up versus learning them at 19 when he goes to his first rookie camp. Yeah. Right. No like, doubt. Yeah. Makes sense. Think about how much more developed that player is going to be when he does get to that rookie camp at 19 compared to if he didn't have these skills and he's kind of, you know, natural talents gotten him there but he's been like up and down a bit and he, he isn't as developed as he could be. Right. Like there's a certain age obviously where it's like, okay, we just want kids purely focused on fun. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, like the younger you can learn these, these things, like the more beneficial it's going to be for you. It's even like not even outside of sport. I mean, I'm sure it'll help you in all aspects of your life. So kind of sprinkling it in there, in uh at the young ages of course i think would would be a massive benefit to people overall in their life right a thousand percent like i haven't been i've been in the game like i'm going into my fifth season now at like that chl kind of level so i'm just at the point now where some of the players i started working with when they were younger are are aging out and they're going to play cis things like that and i'm just starting now to get like messages like hey like what we talked about has really helped me with studying for exams or with this job interview or this difficult situation with my family. Like it's, it's really cool to hear. And part of what we do is we help athletes prepare for and overcome the challenges they're going to face and have the skills to, to handle that. And obviously it's not like once you leave the rink, your life is sunshine and rainbows and there's no challenges. Right. So yeah to help them with those, with those things, it's, it's huge and it's incredibly rewarding. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
Um, that's all the, the questions I had, Josh. Did you have anything? Last no, I think about? we touched on everything I wanted yeah. to. But before we go, uh, like I want to give you a chance to, you know, we, we plugged your Instagram earlier, but even go a step further. Like if anyone listens to this and, you know, wants to, they, says my son or myself, you know, I'm interested in getting, you know, reaching out and seeing what you can offer. Like how could they contact you, for example? Sure. Yeah. You guys, <laughs> I appreciate that. You guys did a good job, actually. That, uh, that Instagram handle, I, I'm sure most people could find that nowadays. It would be locked in performance at locked in performance. I try to be as engaged there as I can, but especially in the fall and in the winter when it's like peak season and we're going, it's tough, (laughs) but, um, by all means, like if you, if anyone out there has any questions, if they want to learn more, if they're, they're concerned about anything, if they feel like they need a hand by all means, reach out, you know, it's what I do. Love to do it. So anyone I can help more than happy. Awesome. Awesome. Anyways, Jackson, uh, we'll let you go. I know you got a game to go to. Thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. It's answered a ton of questions. I've I've learned a ton. I've made some notes during the interview as well. Uh, And thanks so much and good luck with the season. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Thanks, fellas. No, this was fun. Good times. If you ever want me back as things change with the Leafs, by all means, let me know and I'll come in and give some analysis. Of course, we'll give you a shout. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go Leafs, go.